Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with columnist, writer, and political commentator, Michael Harriet. His latest book, Black AF History, The Unwhitewashed History of America, has landed on the New York Times bestseller list. The book looks at American history from a black perspective and offers an unvarnished and sometimes funny and ironic look at the way American history has been told. So look, man, I, I, I told you off mic, uh, congratulations. Did you expect, not necessarily the New York Times bestseller list, but did you expect the kind of um, embrace that you've received for the book? Yeah, it was shocking to me. Um, you know, I tend to work without thinking of the reception, but, right. you know, how once the work when how the work will be um finished and how how not how it will be received but how it how good it will be and so but but i i always thought that people black people especially once they if they knew about the book uh they would buy the book and if they bought the book they will tell other people about mm-hmm. the book because i put a lot of work into it um you know, what's funny is that so when you write one of these books, it's, there's a while before you record the audio book and I recorded the audio book. So I would like read the audio book during the recording. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Oh, oh that was good. And because because you write it in pieces. Right. right. And so it was, uh, you know, when I finished the book, they had this marketing plan and I was like, no, um, here's what we should do. And it was non-traditional and they were skeptical of it, but really black without 
it was a grassroots effort and black people really went out and bought this book. And I was and I was pleasantly surprised. You know, those of us who dealt with the publishing world know that, you know, there's a kind way of saying it's traditional, but it really doesn't know our culture to a great degree. There are things that they want to do that we know as authors and black folk that that ain't that may work for y'all, but that's not working for us. I'm wondering about the title and the AF part of it. Was there pushback at all for that? Did they understand that? What was. So it took me three years to write this book and. One of the things they worried about was like, will people be saying AF in three years? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, because we were saying it, you know, before y'all knew about it. Like mm -hmm. black people said it before before y'all knew about it. And so it might not be a cool white thing to say, but it'll be still in, you know, um, and there was a little pushback, but then ultimately they conceded and, and, and agreed with it. What's funny is, so this was actually supposed to be the second of a two book deal. The first book was a book about whiteness and they thought we should flip the order because the subtitle of the first book, they thought they had, put, I had pushed back. Uh, against because they thought it was a subject that nobody had ever heard of. It was a subject that I studied in graduate school. And the subject was, and this is funny, the subtitle was White Peopleology Toward a More Critical Race Theory. They thought nobody had ever heard of this critical race theory thing. So uh, we, sh we should uh, do the first, the second book first. And now everybody's talking about critical race theory. How much of, of you being homeschooled until you were, I think, 12? Um, yes. How, how much of that, even as a Black person, that did that allow you a, a different purview of history just in general? Because I think about how, you know, the, the, mass, the masses were taught about history. You know, George Washington, the cherry tree, you know, and, and on down the line. But being homeschooled, I, I would imagine you had a different purview than most of us. Yeah. So one of the things that homeschooling and learning history that way did for me is so it wasn't part of like I wasn't in history class. Mm -hmm. So history was part of my English curriculum and the English curriculum is what part of my, you know, uh, civics curriculum and all of that was combined. It wasn't like I I everything was bifurcated or separated. So it offered context. Um, and it also offered a way for me to kind of explore history on my own, go into the topics that interested me. And then the history that I was taught had people who looked like me, who, you know, who came from my background, you know, who had descend who were descendants of enslaved people. So that helped. And the other thing it was it helped me do right is it taught me that like I just really very recently, maybe a couple years before I started writing this book, when I realized how other people learn history, like, like I realized like, oh, they, so I have my, when my children were going to school, like my children are in college now. When my children were in, in school, I realized, oh, this is how they learn history because you know, what's normal to you is just normal. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I realized, 
oh, they learned about George Washington being this valiant <laughs> defender of liberty. And mm-hmm. then like years, years later, they learned he owned slaves. And then they, the same with Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. So they they make them heroes. And that's why it's so hard for them to understand how they could be flawed men in the first place. So they don't learn a comprehensive history that's even linear. They learn a myth first, and then they spend time kind of filling in the areas around the myth. And I, 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 when I learned that, it made sense. Fortunately, I didn't learn history that way. Yeah, you know what I loved about what you did is not only did you decide to kind of tell history from our side, but it really took front and center the idea of, you, you know, you talk about unwhitewashed history. I, I've always called it the Hollywood version of history. You know, we have built in America this, to your point, always valiant, always smart, always heroic, always, always, always. And the white male in particular was always the star of it, right? Give me a sense of, you know, how you wanted to deconstruct that notion, because it's a notion that we've all been pushed and taught on from the day we, you know, were born, frankly. Well, the first thing is, right, so when we think of this like black history or American history, we think of it in two ways. We think of a history of black people told by black people that centers black people. And then we think of history, American history through a white lens, right? It's, you know, uh, from the white perspective by white historians, what I wanted to do was give black and, and both ways have been done a million times. What I want to do is give a perspective of America, that this whole country from black people's perspective, right? So in my version, the Revolutionary War was just two different kinds of white people fighting because that's how it would have been if you were living in Mm -hmm. 1776, right? Like it was just some white people fighting over something and you would fight for the side which most affected your freedom, right? and the reason I wanted to do that, and the reason that the way we learn history is flawed, is because of what you said, right? So when we talk about those white men who are always, always, always slave saviors, as you said, the reality is, man, if you think about the story of Black people in America, where we came from, arriving on these shores with nothing, the communities and the history and the culture and the families and the institutions that we've built, it is already the greatest story in the Mm -hmm. history of the world, right? Like to think about Black people arriving here with nothing, no language, no loved ones, not even a, a way to communicate. And their purpose was to have everything extracted from them, their labor, and then for them to die. And not only that, but everything, the greatest, wealthiest country in the world was against them. And they were going to do it to Black people. That's already the greatest story in the world. Why is there a need for this mythology when America really already has the greatest story that has ever been told? And I wanted to tell that story instead of this myth that we've been making up as we go along. 
And here's what's here's another thing that's interesting. You know, you say, you know, why the need? And it seemed to me that if you know history, those that came to the shores, the whites that came to these shores were the dregs of society elsewhere and all of that, you know. And there was a need to really start to tamp down how extraordinary um, the Africans that were brought here uh, enslaved were, that the people of color, indigenous people and all, the extraordinary nature of who these people uh, were and are. And the idea continues today. We see it with this whole um, advent of trying to sweep away truth in general. There is this need to make the extraordinary, not only ordinary, but substandard, which is amazing to me. Yeah, I think it's hard for them to justify what they did to these people, Black people, Indigenous people, if they allow them to be seen as people. So, you know, you can't subject someone to the worst kind of violence to a system that had frankly never been a race-based, color-based, constitutional, perpetually inescapable intergenerational system of forced labor through violence or the threat of violence. You can't have someone subjected to that if they are also human. You can't think people will support people doing that if you also see them as human. You can't come to a land and just take people's land and then slaughter them for their land. You can't force them to move across the country and call it a trail of tears if you also see them as human. So that is part of what Du Bois called the propaganda of history, to make, to, to shape it into a thing that valorizes one group and dehumanizes another. How much did you, if at all, um, really hone in on what American history, the way it's taught in schools um, and delivered in, in, in America? You know, we, we always talk about the game that has been played on us, the psyche um, deflate that we have had from day one. Did, did that exacerbate as you started to, to you know, comb through all this and write it. I would suspect there were times, you know, and maybe because you're a historian in, in one sense, maybe not, but it had to be infuriating at, at, at times. Yeah, there were times that were infuriating about, there were some things that you could not think, help but think were intentional. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is that how much of our history we think is lost or hidden when it's kind of available. And they like, they just choose not to teach it. Right. Like it's not, some of it is lies that are easily proven wrong and they just keep perpetuating the lie. Like yesterday was Columbus day. <laughs> right. Think about this. Like we right. just celebrated Columbus day. And we're still celebrating Columbus Day, a man who never stepped foot on this continent that is a national holiday. Right. And and just that was lost. Right. 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 <laughs> a we, dude that was just so, lost. 
Yeah, he was just like, you know, <laughs> took a wrong turn because his GPS was broken. <laughs> and we are still celebrating him 570 years later. It is insane the his, the propaganda that we are fed intentionally. You know, one of the things that I was, um, you know, in researching this book, right? I always, I said, well, I, you know what I wish? I wish there would be a way that instead of, because one of the things I did is instead of the French and the English um, colonizers and the Dutch settlers, I just call them white people because mm-hmm. that's how they do Africans, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They, they say they're just slaves. They don't have a history or a culture or a background or political motivation like the pilgrims. And I was like, I wish I could just like find the tribes of the specific people I was talking about in the early days of enslavement. And it turns out you can, right? Because mm-hmm. they knew exactly where to go to get these people. They went there to get them for specific skills. And they were like, oh, if I go get the, the Mandinka, right, they are really excellent rice grow- growers. And if I go get the Wolof, they are really el- excellent cattle herders. And if I go get the the the, the others, these other people, the Akan, they are really great at blacksmithing. And so they knew exactly where to go. Like they would have you believe they, you know, they had us believe that they were just getting people for the, how strong they were and how big they were and how muscly they were when they were going to get them to do specific things that white people didn't know how to do. And the fact that they make us think the opposite is true is kind of infuriating. Yeah. You know, your book gives great context to that in the sense of, as you, as you suggest, History would lead us to believe the way it's taught here, that all we were doing, you know, we always talk about building the capital. All we were doing is moving bricks and and lifting them and putting them in and and that kind of thing. And to your point, um, the intellectual property that was stolen from us is, is almost unconscionable to think about what would have happened had they not brought us here. Well, I mean, so you know, this nation would not have probably, well, certainly wouldn't existed in the way we know it. Right, right. So, a couple of years ago, Ed, I was uh, I was hired to write a piece on the plantation tourism industry in Charleston, South mm-hmm. Carolina. So I go to this plantation, seventeen hundred acres, the size of a small city, and. There are tours going on there. Well, like white people just travel there to get to have tours. And we were rushing through the tour because there was a wedding later on that day at a plantation where they're enslaved, where they enslaved black people. Mm-hmm. So the woman, the one of the women on the tours said, uh, well, there was a just just a big flood here uh a, a few months ago. How did did you guys have to rebuild? Or, you know, did it damage a lot of this property? And the tour guide said, no. Um, That was what they call a 100-year flood. It only happens Mm -hmm. every 100 years. But the enslaved people who built the system of levees and dams that grow rice, to grow rice, you have to flood the fields and then you levy out the water. So when a storm is coming, we bring up the levees, flood the fields. It doesn't damage them because we're used to being flooded. And then when the storm recedes, we let the water out. They were using a system of devies and lambs that were built 
300 years ago by enslaved people who knew how to do that. Engineering that still survives to this day. And that is what they went there to steal, mm-hmm. right? That intellectual property is what they went, they went there to get, right? Not the strong backs, because the white people did not grow rice. There was a plantation where the people thought they were going to come here and grow citrus, but the soil was too loamy. They could try silkworm. They tried everything. And then they realized, oh, the enslaved people we bought from Barbados weren't dying because they were growing rice. And that's what exploded what they call the Gold Coast or the Rice Coast of Africa, because the rice was gold to the Americas. And that's what they went there to get, that intellectual property, not the labor. Because they could have used the natives, right? They Mm -hmm. could have used the people who were here if they just wanted to enslave people who could lift things. But that's not what we are told in school. Yeah. And when you think about that, uh, you know, the, the way we're told history, particularly when they traveled west, it was a rough and rugged land, and most of them didn't make it because the land was rough and rugged. Well, most of them didn't make it because they didn't know what to do. You know, it wasn't right. simply because the land was rough and rugged. Yes, that was a part of the story, which brings me to something that you you touched on, and I'm curious how you see this. There are variations of the the lies that have been told historically. There is the sanitized version, and that's a part of the truth, but it's cleaned up. There is the simple untruth, and then there is the omission. Give me a sense of how you see those three. So give me that list again. The There's a sanitized I, version, partially true, yeah. but, but not as devastating, not as ugly, not as nasty. There's the untruth, the lie, mm-hmm. i.e. George cutting down a cherry tree. You know, and then there is the omission. Right, right. So let's start with the sanitized. The sanitized truth is kind of a little bit propaganda, right? Like everybody, like we always say, the Victor Wright's history. Right. And it it is, you know, filtered through the lens to make the white heroes look good. Right. And that and that's what we are taught in school. And but it's also created to give the students in sixth grade a sense of pride and patriotism and to convince them to perpetuate the mythology, not just history, not but the excellence of America, to go and bomb other countries, to go and believe that uh if you work hard at a menial job, then you will succeed when we know for black people that it's true. Like it's created that sanitized version is created to perpetuate the status quo. Now the lies, some of what America did can't be whitewashed. Mm -hmm. So you just got to tell a lie in some instances, right? Like if you say America is not a racist country, you should have to say when it stopped being one. Otherwise, you're telling a lie because, like, it, you know it was a racist country, right? Like, it created the most brutal, brutal form of human subjugation in the history of the world. So it was. So 
either you have to tell the tell the end date of that stop racism or you perpetuating the lie. And then the lies also help sanitize the earlier version um, that we talked about, right? Because some things like some of the lies we we tell ourselves are in support of the status quo too, right? They're created for the same reason. And then the omission, as a journalist, you know this, right? When we talk about objectivity in a story, it's not just the lie you put in a story. It's not how you uh, frame the story, but it's what you choose to leave out. Right. And, and what you choose to leave out of a story is as important as what you choose to put into a story. So if you leave out the fact that the blue blood families that formed America didn't just get their wealth from the work that enslaved people did for them, they got it because they owned slaves. They had a head right system where we gave 50 acres of land for every enslaved person they brought over here. So it was not that they had these plantations that depended on free labor. It was just that they were enslavers that made them rich. Slavery made them rich, not the stuff that was, was the result of slavery. And om those kinds of omissions, the omissions of the pe people who were part of America's story that were just left out, that were just intentionally excluded, like we talked about, right? When you omit the fact that they went over there, when you omit the names of the African people, but not the names of the white people, that's how you sanitize it and that's how you perpetuate the lie. So they all work hand in hand, right? Like, and when you're writing history and you want to perpetuate that pathology and perpetuate that myth of excellence and perpetuate the status quo, when you get to a point in the history book where you have to either choose to tell the truth or to tell a lie or to sanitize it or to omit it entirely, you make that choice. And that's how you get that jumbled version where some parts say something and some parts say another thing. But a more accurate version of history, it includes Black people and it shows the brutality that this country has committed against everyone who is not white. Yeah, and I, and, and I think you, you hit on it in the sense of, I don't blame a sanitized version of certain stories in the sense of we all sanitize certain things when it's from our end. Uh, but the it, particularly the omission, i.e. lie, and the outright lie is, is the one that I think we, we continue to see perpetuated, i.e. Trump today. You just keep hammering that nail, keep hammering that nail, keep hammering that lie. And as we used to say, a lie can become the truth in many people's minds. And, and we see that. Let me ask you uh, one other question as relates to that before we let you go. And that is this. I'm interested in those that have read the book or at least heard about the book um, who've not been uh, fans of it. Those that have said to you, you're the liar. You're making up these two. What's what's been that for, from, for those who see it from a different perspective? I'm curious about your conversations or interactions with them. Well, Ed, you know this. 
the criticism rarely comes from people who read the book or or read the article Uh or like they don't sit down and read it and say and then say, you know, I think you could have had more of this or I think this was wrong. Those criticisms don't come from those people. But so truly the people from the people who've read it, um, you know, the only criticism I've heard was that like you can't eat while you're reading it because you might spit out your water or <laughs> spit out your food when you're laughing. Um, um, but the those the criticisms of people who do or who fight for a more corrective or more accurate version of history is always the same. There are two things that they'll always say. One, well, when prove it why do you think that like not all it's basically a version of the not all white people argument Mm -hmm. right white people fought for this and white people and the other is that if the version of history that i learned is not true then why do so many people say it then why do historians say it this way Mm -hmm. why do the academics say it this way and i always explain to them that the black studies movement and the inclusion of black history in schools is a relatively new thing. It mm-hmm. started in the mm-hmm. late seventies. I mean, the early seventies, late sixties. And so the people who taught me and you history, for instance, mm-hmm. in schools, they didn't know, like those white teachers didn't know history, right? They had, they'd never learned black history. Their schooling had no black history. They didn't learn about slavery. They didn't learn about, you know, the civil rights movement. And, the people who taught them didn't and the people who taught them didn't. So one of the things that I always have to remember is those white people who make those uh, criticisms don't know anything about history, right? They, they were likely taught by someone who didn't learn history. And so they have believed that that mythologized version is the truth because everybody in their world told that same story. And just because everyone is telling the same story doesn't make it true. No matter how hard, as you said, they hammer it. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's true of some black teachers back in the day, right? They didn't know history either, not because they didn't want to know, but no one in their family. That's right. And they went to white. Hey man, listen, congratulations. Uh, I hope, if nothing else, um, certainly like-minded people will read it. But I would love for those who aren't like-minded to, to your point, rather than just hear about it. You know, I, I would hope that some of them, whatever <laughs> minute number that might be, would pick up the book and and take a look to get, if nothing else, a more balanced, uh, objective view of of what this nation. Uh, was and is. So uh, again, brother, uh, thank you for spending time and and congratulations again. Thank you so much for having me. Again, Michael's book, Black AF, The Unwhitewashed History of America is available now. One Hundred is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. 
Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.